Do you believe in the law of attraction? I do. Well, when you say that, I pause. So the fact is, my pause indicates that I don't fully, right? But when you say the law of attraction, that to me means I look at it as, am I attentive to how I'm vibrating to allow those things to manifest and a bit more attentive to that right now? Hi, baby. Hop in the Lamborghini. Huh? I'm needy. I'm me only. I'm needy. Huh? Hi, baby. Hop in the Lamborghini. Lamborghini. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Stroke of Success Podcast. Today's guest is someone who I met recently. We're both part of this mastermind program, YouTube, and you know, and monetizing it. And I saw his profile. Like this guy's big shot. And I'm like, I reached out to him and uh and I heard him in class quite a bit. Humble dude. I reached out to him. I say, Chris, when talking on my podcast, he goes, Shh, let's do it. Chris, thank you for jumping on board, man. Appreciate you. No, I appreciate the opportunity. And like you said, you know, it's funny, you're in real estate and we'll get into that story. I'm in real estate too as well. And we happen to, I live in a neighborhood that you're very familiar with. So we're destined to be here together today. Exactly. Exactly. And my, my, one of my best friends lives there. He's been there for about 10 years now, I think. Um, yeah. He's, yeah. And we both have two daughters. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Interesting. Well, let's get started. Chris, where were you born and raised, man? I was born in uh, Puerto Rico. So I'm originally from Puerto Rico. And then when I was about third grade, I came here to the U.S. I initially came, I went to Bridgeport, Connecticut. I don't know if you've ever been to Bridgeport, Connecticut. I lived in uh, not the nicest neighborhood I always get around is that before I left Bridgeport, Connecticut, I always thought that when you were done with your running shoes, you tied them together and you threw them over the power lines. Until I get here and I'm like, oh, no, they only do that in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And then and then I came down to Miami uh, when I yeah. was a junior in high school. And then I've been here ever since. So Connecticut to Miami. I live in South Florida. I, I Well, I if you're familiar with Miami, uh, I actually, when I initially came here, I was living in Liberty City, which I'm not sure if you're oh, Martin Luther Jr. Very familiar. I went to Edison Senior High. So um, that's where I lived. Liberty and, City. Uh, yeah, Liberty City. I grew up in the hood. For those people that don't know, it's just a bunch of mansions and Bentley down the road and Lambos. I'm joking. I'm teasing. Yeah. Yeah. Why did your parents pick Liberty City, man? Um, You know, it wasn't that. uh, Well, actually, a a good part of my parents' family was living in Miami around that area. And it was just more of an economic decision. You know, we just, you know, couldn't afford to live anywhere else. When I first came down here. Um, you know, I was living in a, uh, which is, uh, I, I still know the address, 4217 Northwest 2nd Avenue, but now the house has been torn down. I lived in a little uh, frame shotgun house. You know what I, when I say shotgun house means, you know, just a, a row house. And I remember as a, as a in, in high school, I was always embarrassed about, about the house. I would never allow, allow my friends to pick me up at the house because I didn't want them to see where I lived. And so it was just out of circumstance. We just didn't have enough money. And so we, we just, you know, we came and, and we lived where we could. That's interesting. What'd you what'd you um, parents do? You know, my mom, my my mom never worked. She worked. Uh, she's she's never really worked. And then my dad uh, is just you know worked in a variety of different things, but not any one particular uh, industry. You know, he was a factory worker in Bridgeport, then came down here and just you know a variety of different odd jobs. You know, uh, doing the best he could. Uh, but he didn't have any particular trade. So I was the first one that actually went to went to college in the family. What college did you go to? I went to Florida International University. FIU. Awesome. FIU. The... And, I, and, I, and I got a degree in accounting. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. The Miami, uh, the South Miami Kendall uh, uh, branch or the North Miami Beach? No, it was the South. The South. That's the main yeah. one. The main kind. Yeah. When did entrepreneurship 
enter your life, on your mind, before life, in your mind? You know, it's funny because as a kid, I remember when I was living in Bridgeport, Connecticut, um, I I started thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great to be an executive and make like $1,000 a week? That would be like being rich. You know, being the fact that you're from a family that doesn't have a lot of money, because when we were in Bridgeport, we lived on welfare and food stamps. And, um, you know, to me, you know, there was always a lack of money. So I, I wanted to, you know, figure out a way to make more money. So that was always a thing that was always an interest of mine. Like, I got to figure out a way to make some more money, right? Because it was just always a lack of it. So I think it just came out of necessity more so than inspiration. Wow. That's insane. There's a need. You have no choice. Some people sit there and say, well, I'll become a doctor. I'll become this. But you're like, you had to become, you had to hustle. A hundred percent. I needed to, uh, well, I mean, I went to college. I think, I think the... There was a thought that I just mentioned, but I think for the most part, I think I was just, um, I hated having a job. So I remember going to college and then, uh, you know, you work a job and, you know, they tell you where to, you know, when to come in, when to have lunch, yeah. when to go to the bathroom. And I said to myself, this sucks. I don't, I don't like any of this. So I'm like, I gotta get the hell out of here, but I can't get the hell out of here because I need the money. So I got to figure out a way, make some money so I can get the hell out of this place. And so that's kind of like the, the genesis of me trying to figure out Okay, what's a good money-making opportunity that I can get involved with uh, to make it happen? That's insane, man. Uh, <laughs> siblings? You have siblings, brothers and sisters? I have a brother. I have a brother, but um, we don't really communicate with each other. So um, for a variety of different reasons, yeah. we've become estranged. And so okay. I, I see him every so often, but uh, not really close to, to, to my brother. Got it. I was wondering if what I was just asking that because wondering how his mindset is. Is he an entrepreneur also or no? Uh, unfortunately, he's. You know, it's funny because you know when you think about where, how how you grow up, you think about your parents, and 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 so you could probably relate to this. That you can see part of you, uh, part part of who you are from your dad, or maybe part of who you are from your mom. And uh, I think I got my dad's genes, and he got my mom's genes, and my mom's. You know. Um, to put it lightly, uh, her, it's, a, it's just a different personality. So he's never been one to be entrepreneurial and, and just, you know, always had a struggle, always had had a struggle in life with a variety of different things. Got it. enough. Yeah. So. I respect yeah. that. All right, cool. So went to FIU, you, what'd you do? Well, you know, I went to FIU and I dropped, I flunked out of school, horrible grades. And I went and I got a real estate license. So I became a real estate agent. What year? And I really, uh, oh my God, this was 1994. 494 something like that and I got my real estate license but I was a horrible real estate agent uh you know back I know right now I weigh about you know 198 pounds back then I weighed 140 I had one of those big old remember those old big briefcases that you got at office depot and I had this I had this wonderful black trans am you remember the kit night rider I had that with the headers taken out of it so like whenever I showed up to somebody's house, it sounded like the Indy 500 was outside your house. <laughs> and so I would show up and then, um, you know, with 140 pound guy with a big briefcase and that Trans Am trying to get a listing. And uh, my branch manager, who I then later become good friends with, he had said it always shocked me when you came to the office and somebody gave you their most prized possession. <laughs> so. I struggled with that. And then I, I said, you know what, let me go back to school. So I went back to school. I got my degree in accounting and then went back and started to go back into the workplace. And that only lasted about six months because then I was like, oh, this sucks. I don't like this. So I said, let me give this real estate again a shot. And so um, I did that for a bit. 
And it was okay. Um, you know, it's always interesting because uh, my personality is, even though you and I are here, I'm not, an, I'm not a natural salesperson. You know, I'm the kind of guy that I would spend all day uh, organizing their CRM and then wait till five o'clock to call everybody and then happy that nobody answered at five so I can reorganize it for the next day, right? Uh, that, you know, so the opposite of what a great salesperson would be. And then as luck would have it, my old uh, uh, manager uh, gave me, the, you know, end up calling me and said, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. Um, I, you know, there's an opportunity for you to be an REO agent, meaning for you to handle the sales of properties that have been for, taken over foreclosure by the banks. And so I, I on a whim, I said, sure, uh, the same, what I'm doing now ain't working. So why don't we try that? And, you know, during that time, you know, just to give you, uh, when I was working as a real estate agent, um, I had my car repossessed at one point. So it wasn't going too well. So I ended up then going into uh, being an agent for the banks, which was more procedural. You know, you didn't have to go and convince the sellers. They give you the listings, but you have to like be very meticulous about processes and systems, which I'm, I am. So that worked out really well for me. And so I did that for a couple of years. Uh, maybe even longer than a couple of years. Maybe it could have been three or four years. And then eventually, one of the one of the people that one of the guys that was buying most of my deals, he said to me, "Hey, why don't you come and uh, work for me, and I'll teach you the ropes." And so then I said, "Sure, let me do it." And it's funny because I remember talking with a friend of mine at the time. I was trying to make that decision to, to whether or not to leave what I was doing with the banks and and do that with him. And my friend told me, "If you don't do that right now, I'm going to." come to you personally and I'm going to kick your ass. Okay. <laughs> and so then the opportunity. Yeah. He thought it, he, you know, I was afraid like, you know, whenever you're venturing did something new. And so he thought it was a great opportunity. And then uh, I did, I went in and I worked with that investor for a year, helping him buy, you know, when I, <clears throat> I, I, I helped him buy 50 properties, you know, him, I, I, he had a couple of people working for him which means I got the, I didn't make that much money because they only paid me like a grand of property, but I got the opportunity that normally would take somebody a couple of years. I got it in like a very finite window. And then what ended up happening was that um, during that time, he was an investor. So he was, uh, he was uh, buying and selling properties, but the properties he was getting were from the banks. But as this is before the big crash of 2008. So as the market rose, the way foreclosure works is that the bank, let's say if you're in foreclosure, you you get for you know you fall behind on payments, but you don't have any equity, so you give it to the bank and the bank takes it back. But during that time, values were increasing, so that means that if I was in foreclosure, I had, I had enough equity to just go ahead and sell the property out in the open market. So because of that, banks were getting less and less inventory, right? And so I had this crazy idea of hey, maybe as a real estate investor we can go out and target private owners of properties and try and deal with them directly. And so then that was my transition into real estate, into me going out on my own and doing um, real estate wholesaling, which is where you're, uh, you know, most people think about real estate investing as you're buying a property, fixing it up and then reselling it versus um, becoming just a finder. So as a real estate wholesaler it's kind of like being a property finder you find a deal you pass that deal to somebody else and you become the middleman for it which is what we're doing now but that was kind of like when when i started that which was around 2000 and uh 2003 or four i think okay we'll stop there for one second yeah um, sorry you got to stop me because i've had like no, no. Uh, okay. you know i've had 
Uh, boundless energy drinks, yeah. brain pills, and coffee. So you gotta I like, got like you. you gotta say, Chico, you gotta put a break on that, buddy. No problem, man. <laughs> so, so Chico, listen. Um, for those who don't know, right? So I am a licensed. My day job is licensed agent. Um, mm-hmm. I find buyers call me, sellers call me to find them a house or sell their house. However, my listeners, my viewers uh, on my podcast right now, Chico is talking about something else. All right, Chico, break it down exactly what a wholesaler does. Yeah, so a wholesaler really is is really learning how to market and find deals because most people think about real estate investing in terms of going out going out and finding a, a, a property that's on the market. Maybe it needs a lot of work. You're going to go to the bank. You're going to take money out of your bank account, and you're going you're to buy this property. You're going to close on it with your own money, and then you're going to hire a contractor to fix up that property and then to then resell it and make a profit. And so, you know, that has a lot of risk involved, especially if you're brand new, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, What we do is we're more of a finder of these deals. So let's say, for example, I go out and I find a property owner that's looking to sell their property and the property is worth 150, but maybe there's a tenant in there that is a problem. They can't get them out. Maybe the property is 20, 30 years old. They haven't done any any repairs to it and it's just a complete mess. So now that property owner has a couple options, either A, he can, you know, he can he can fix it up and then resell it. He can fix it up in order to get it up to market condition, but he may not want to do that, or they may not have the money for it. Or it could be that they just want to deal with it. You know, I always give the example of recently I had a car that I owned outright, a uh, truck, and I was going to sell that car and I had the option. Uh, one option was for me to take that car okay. and sell it on Craigslist. Sure. And I can get the most money that I could for that car. But I had to put new tires in it. I had to re- you know, replace a couple of things. And it would take time, but I could get more money. Or I could go to the dealer, and the dealer would give me a certain amount of money. I knew it was going to be less, but they would just take it off my hands that same day. I could walk away. And I knew that they were going to be making more money from it, but I was perfectly okay. So that's what we're talking about here. These sellers... Uh, are in a situation where they're willing to trade their equity for something else. So, you know, we're never stealing equity because some people think, oh, I, I, you know, if you sell, if you buy a property for somebody at a discount, are you stealing the equity? No, they're trading their equity for something else. And that is either time, convenience, uh, whatever the situation, situation is. Life situation, right? Yeah. A lot of time. Exactly. So then what we do is that then that same property that's worth 150 and the seller says, I'm, I'll sell it for 75. I'll put it on the contract for 75. And I'll just have an agreement that says to the seller, I'm going to buy your property in 30 days for 75000 But now I'll take that agreement, that just that piece of paper in my hand, and I'm going to find another investor in that area that, that is looking for these type of deals. And I'm going to say, hey, I've got a great deal that's worth one fifty. Would you want that deal for 90000 Now, remember, I have it on the contract for seventy five, and I say, would you want it for ninety? they They'll say, you know what, I'll take it. I'll, you know, I said ninety five, and they say, you know what, I'll take it for 90 And I'll say, great. So all I do is I take my contract and I'll sign it over to them. And now they are the ones in 30 days that are going to close on the property. But now I've made $10,000 for doing that. And so it's different because like if a conventional real estate agent on a deal that's say 75,000, 6% commission is 4,200 divided by two. Maybe if you're in a 50% split, everybody's in a different split. But you know, you're not going to make as much as I would on that same house as a wholesaler, right? So that's kind of what we do. We're kind of a middleman and, um, and you know, it doesn't require a license because we're not selling the property. No. Very important. We're selling like the contract. Yes. yes. Hey, Chico, question. You said, so your math was, you got it. You've got the, you negotiate the property to sell it for 70,000. 
KB here said, hey, I'll give you, you, you put it on the market for 100,000. He said, KB said, hey, I'll give to you to, for, I'll buy it from you for 90,000. Right. You take home the, the, the margin. The 20, yes. Yep. And that's what's the money that, that we that get. There's a, there's a terminology for that, right? Assignment Chico? fee. Assignment fee. Yeah. Assignment fee. So ultimately, the, speaking, you, you, you pick up, you pick your own assignment fee and, and, and negotiate that. Yeah, we negotiate that. Obviously, the assignment fee, you know, you, you have to leave enough meat on the bone for the other person to make money, right? Because otherwise, it's not feasible for them. And uh, now, the, the, the interesting thing about this is that we do this without ever physically inspecting any of the properties, without actually meeting with the property owners in person, without meeting with the buyers. That's and uh, we're, doing it, we're doing it nationwide, um, all across the country, and in and, and, and places that... Little towns, big towns, and small towns all across. You, the you jump way too far. Let's go back. Let's go back to the okay. origin, man. So, anyways, you got into wholesaling. You left the banking. Um, would you? So, how old were you when you got into wholesaling? Thirty? No. Um, probably late, somewhere in my thirties. Yeah. Okay. I, it's hard. It's um, if it was two thousand and one, if I two thousand and four, maybe I'm thinking if it was two thousand and four. Okay. Um, and years I was tw about 33, 34, maybe. Okay. So yeah. interesting. That's the time where the market was kind of, I was a real estate agent in South Florida at that time. The market was kind of, it was high. It was going, it was about to climb up, right? In 2008, yeah, it, it popped 2008. Boom. Four years yeah. run. We had three, four years run. Yeah. Um, so that's why you became a wholesaler. Right. Right before the market crash. Your first year, you remember how much you made? Um, Wrong yeah, I don't. I mean, I was making. Um, I was just thinking. I, I I went from making initially when I first started. Um, I was just making a couple, two or three thousand dollars a month, and then within about six months, I had my biggest month in one month that I made like one hundred and ten thousand dollars in a single month. Um, and then, but I think I was. I was just thinking out loud. I think I was doing about four hundred to four fifty a year. What year? Year two? Year three? Um, put some time into it, no? It went up ra rather rapidly because, um, no, I mean, I, I was, I made only about like when I was working with that other guy, I made, I made like 50 grand. Then the next year, then I left him and then, uh, and then I kind of struggled a little bit the first part of the, of, of my time, uh, on my own. And then I figured out the marketing and then, uh, then I think I doubled that, but then the first full year, you know, I made like, I made, uh, I was making 400 K consistently That's right, right up. Yeah. But it was, it went fast because of the, mar you know, we were, I was able to figure out, um, a way to market that nobody else is doing. And so th with that, you know, I was able to have success rather quickly. And then I, and I had other people also, uh, that were helping me, but, um, you know, it went up pretty quickly, fast. 400 was take home or that before paying all the expenses? Um, Do you have I expenses think, back then? No, it was only direct mail cost. We didn't have that many expenses. Everybody was virtual. Uh, I probably, I think I netted maybe somewhere around 350-ish or something like that. Let's get back in 2002, three. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money know, now, but, I was, but back then it was crazy. Yeah. yeah, and I was spending it like a sailor. I, I heard that. Oh, sure. that's going to get that. Let's, let's talk yes. about that. So year 2003 to yeah. 
South, South Beach was my playground, man, back then. I made good money in real estate. I was 21, 22 years old. Okay. At a company I was working for in Coral Springs called Complete Mortgage Financing and Real Estate. Hmm. I said, get my commission on Friday. I said, go to South Beach and blow it all on uh, stuff uh, between Friday yeah. and Sunday. Come back Monday, broke. Um, tell me your story. What? How'd you live the life of uh, luxury in the, in Miami, Florida? Well, I mean, it, it was just, you know, when you don't make a lot of money and then all of a sudden you make a bunch of money, then you end up just, um, you know, you got a combination of things. You end up just spending it and then also you you think it's just going to continue to flow like that forever. Um, but, you know, I think it was just uh, probably the same thing as you. I was going out to clubs, going out to restaurants. Um, I, I was with my wife at the time. My wife had been together. My wife and I are high school sweethearts, so we've been together for a while. And so um, uh, we traveled extensively like, there were times where like I had one where like as if you and I were, you know, we got together on Sunday for um for brunch and you told me I had a friend of mine, he's like, Yeah, we're going to Europe next week. I'm like, Really? Where are you going? And then I he told me, I'm like, Hey, what if we meet you there? And be like, Yeah, you can meet me there. And I think he was thinking, yeah, whatever. People tell me that all the time. Next thing you know, I'm like, hey, my flight is coming in. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, just, and I bought, you know, expensive cars and everything else. And so, you know, you just, and back then I was young. So uh, you don't think, I, I didn't think anything about like, hey, you know what? All these properties are coming through your hands. Maybe you should just keep a couple, right? Um, you know, you live and learn, you know, uh, I would say that it's easy to judge yourself on the, on the mistakes you've made in the past. Yeah. But to a certain extent, the mistakes that you make in the past are the ones that put you in a position to do you what you now. do today. Yeah. Good so, point. you know, yeah. So I, I'm always mindful of that, not to, not to, not to, not to, not to hit myself over the head too much. Listen, that's a lot of really good yeah. money. Um, What type of car did you have back then? I had a couple of cars, uh, all of them BMWs, but the most expensive one I had was a BMW 650i back when they first came out. Wow. I was, I think it was like $90,000, which was, you know, back then, you know, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Uh, so it was a fun car to drive. And, uh, I, I felt like Batman because when you drove that car, it had the run flat tires and, you know, if you saw an opening on the highway, that opening was yours. <laughs> I-75, huh? 75. Yes. Uh, yeah. I took the car to, to Tampa and, and then a, a cop stopped me because I was going too fast. And then he stops me. He's like, what car is this? Like he couldn't even figure out what it was. Cause it was like brand new bottle that nobody had seen before. What year, what year was this car? I'm going to look it up right now. I got me curious. It was a 2006, I believe. 2006 that's, that's BMW when, that, that's, that's when they came out? Yeah. Oh, wow. Let me check it out. BMW 650. Yeah. 2006. Yeah. Um, did you party, go to nightclubs a lot? Yeah. I went everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Even places I can't mention on the podcast. Um, <laughs> we, all, we all know. That's what South Florida is known about. Listen, I probably saw you there. Yes, right yeah, there. we're probably there together. Same time. Um, <laughs> hey, that's okay. My wife knows I, I used to go to those places, my so we're wife good. Knows it too, right? As long as the wife knows, you know, and that's yes. the, the <laughs> Yes. Um, there has to be a a climax here <laughs> in the story where, man, some people say, "Why well, I lost it all and I rebuilt, or I did this and I went there." Anything like that in your story? Yeah, I mean, lots of them. I mean, you know, back in two thousand and eight. So what happened in two thousand and eight? <laughs> we're making all this money and all of a sudden the market and and I kind of felt like something was going to go amiss and uh and it just dropped like the south floor of the market just just completely stopped and halted you know very quickly within a couple of weeks and so I was in a I was in a position where you know I was spending a lot of money per month 
and then you know one thing is easy to ramp up your expenses but it's not so easy to ramp them down right <laughs> when you have to and so then i ended up um just falling into financial difficulties um uh, I, I, you know, basically I had to stop paying, you know, my credit went to shit. Um, um, I lost a lot of credit cards. So this day American express, I can't get, you know, I used to have a nice platinum American express. Now I'm like their black sheep. They gave me this shitty card that only has like a $5,000 limit. And they're like, sorry, you've had bad history with us. We can't help you. I'm like, that was like so long ago. I got my shit together now. Um, and, and then, and, and you know, just, yeah, I fell into, you know, I fell behind, on my on the house that I was living at also as well. So I had I'd falling into foreclosure. What, and then you know this? This is the one in Hollywood, actually. <laughs> it's funny because I haven't you know I, I part of the thing you and I are in a in a group together uh, for coaching and one of the things is telling your story. And this is a story that I'm I'm telling you that I haven't told you know before. So you're the first to hear it. So I ended up you know um I ended up falling into financial difficulties. And at the time, I then fell behind on my mortgage payments. And so then, um, you know, I three months passed by and I got served, you know, foreclosure papers. You know, they filed a list pendants here in Florida and in, 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 in Florida, that's what they, they filed because it's a judicial state. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really good with is I never get frazzled at all. Like you could throw everything at the kitchen sink at me. And my wife will tell you, like, she can't remember the last time I was angry or upset or anything like that. So I'm very like... So I, I was, yeah. So I sat down and, and I looked through, I'm like, well, let me, let's look through this thing. So I sat down and I looked through all the mortgage documents. And then I noticed a particular thing that was interesting about the more, about the foreclosure suit. And they said that they needed the court to make an exception because the, um, they had lost the original promissory note. And then I was looking at that. I'm like, well, that's so odd that they would make an exception to that. So I said, let me do some research on that. So I did do some research on that. And I figured out that because of the securitization of the mortgages, that a lot of the banks were having a problem with locating the original note. And that was a requirement for the foreclosures. <laughs> so I started doing a little bit more research. And I found out that there was a couple of attorneys that were litigating against the banks, right? Against them on the foreclosure suit. And one of them had won. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I need to talk to this guy. So I called the attorney. And and you know and and it was a decision point, right? Because at that point I was still kind of behind, and so you know it was difficult to catch up with all the payments. So I'm like, you know, let's see, maybe this could buy me some time. So I ended up getting the attorney, and then we filed a countersuit with the bank. And the countersuit was that, hey, you have no right to foreclose. How do we know you're the real lien holder? Because you don't have the original promissory note. And so that ended up like putting that whole thing off for like two years. So now, you know, I was way behind on the mortgage. So there was no, so now it was two years without paying a mortgage, without paying any property tax or nothing like that. I was a point of no return. I had to keep on going. So then um, by luck and circumstance, um, there was a big attorney here in Florida that uh, I think it was David, David Stern. Yes. It was Stern. He's huge. That he got, he had a big, uh, he was the one that was dealing with all the foreclosure uh, in Florida, but he was falsely documenting and, and doing some other stuff. And so uh, luckily my case was with them. So when that thing happened, that then halted all the cases that they were working on. So that bought me a couple more years, right? <laughs> so then, <laughs> um, so meanwhile, I've been, you know, I, I'm back on my feet and everything else, but I'm kind of stuck because like, I'm not going to pay them all this money that I owe them now, right? It doesn't make any sense. 
right? Because then, um, you know, so I'm just kind of in limbo. I'm like, oh, right, I got to ride this out and see what happens with it. So it ends up being that then um, at the end, it ends up being that uh, I get a second attorney and I fight them and I fight them for like six years, six years without paying a mortgage, without paying taxes or anything like that. And then finally, um, we go to the final thing. I go to court with them. We have a trial and I lose. So now that's it. The gig is up. I'm like, hey, listen, I wrote this as best I can. It was my decision making at the time that, you know, that was my best option, but it is what it is. And then as luck would have it, then, you know, I went out and I said, well, we'll rent someplace and then we figure out where we're going to go. I put a deposit on the property, uh, on the rental. And right before, like the, the day before I was supposed to put uh, uh, the second deposit on the rental, I get a fax from my attorney. And the attorney says, meanwhile, while this was happening, I had a second mortgage. They backed out. They're like, they sent me a note, said, hey, don't worry about us. We're good. <laughs> so the second mortgage went away. Then the first mortgage was like 500 grand, you know, by the time you, you add all, all the everything up. And they sent me a notice because now Aquin had it. And Aquin said, hey, we can reinstate your loan and cut your principal balance by 200K if you still want the house. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> so at the end, uh, I ended up and I, you know, I laugh about it. But, you know, it, you know, during that time, it's like it's problematic because you're in limbo, like. You know, you're living on with the rest of your life, but then you got this other house that you're not really sure what to do with. Like, you know, you're in this lawsuit and everything else, but you're kind of letting it right through. But at the end of the day, basically, you know, they reduced my mortgage by like 200,000 and completely forgave all the costs and everything and all everything. And so I ended up like having a great deal and uh, nothing on my credit because we fought that as well. And so I was like, worked out oh, that worked out rather well. Yeah. yeah so very lucky. Yeah. So, you know, I gamed the system, but I mean, sometimes life is a little bit about gaming the system. Sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. I had a previous podcast right before you, and I was asking uh, the physician in uh, Miami, and I go, listen, when you do goal setting, sometimes you'll get a little pushback resistance, you know, that, that this business you want to do or this deal you want to do is not panning out. Do you, Chico, say, you know what? Fuck that, pardon my, my language. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep pushing. And I'm gonna get it. Or do you say, you know what, this is not meant to be for me from God. Maybe I should go somewhere else. Are you A or B? A is like you know, nope. No matter what, you're gonna get to it. Or B, you say, you know what, I tried enough. I'm gonna go somewhere else. I'm more stubborn, so I'm more likely to continue to push through. You know, um, so I'm more pragmatic in the sense of like, just okay, hey, let's evaluate this. What are your assumptions about? What you're trying to do here are are you you know getting advice from others and everything else but you know i i tend to be a little bit more uh, on the stubborn side yeah. you know if i'm going to do something if i have my said mind my mindset to it then you know it's very difficult to get me off track that's insane because you you're you're hype you're hyper focused i can tell i am i'm very uh i'm very methodical you should see my packing list. I don't know about you. Do you, you know, when you pack, do you have a packing list template? I do, but not that big though. Very, very minor bullet points I need to do. Oh no, no. Mine's extensive. Mine's extensive. It's broken up into categories between the clothes, electronics, documents, everything. And then uh, two weeks before I travel, I start fleshing it out, especially if it's a long trip. Like we're going to go to Europe over the summer for almost a month. So like, I really got to be meticulous. So I'm a planner. Like I fucking, excuse me. I don't even know if I'm supposed to swear on Please, this. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah. Oh, we're open to swearing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm very meticulous, which is, okay. you know, there's positives and negatives. You know, everybody sure. has their superpower, but it's also their kryptonite too, as well. Sure. 
How, so, how's your wife? Uh, how, by the way, what's your wife's name? Roz, R-O-Z. Roz? Roz? Yeah, Roz, so how, R-O-Z. How, how's Roz's personality compared to yours? She's not definitely not as uh, not as methodical as I am, but she still is to a certain extent. So I think that one of the key things is uh, I'm a big fan of uh, she's taking the test. I'm a big fan of personality test. The one that I take most often uh, and I have everybody on the team take is the Colby index. Colby There's index. one called disc, disc, DIC. It's a very similar. Yeah. So in the disc personality, I'm, I'm uh, dominant. And then there's uh, there's the one that talks about just being very meticulous, right? Okay. So, you know, I think with business uh, as well as even personal relationships, you know, let's say that if I was very meticulous and my wife was completely not the, not that way, just all the way in the other end, it would be difficult, right? Yes. Because there's too much disparity. So she's closer to my end, but not as much. So she's a little bit more looser, uh, but she still has her structure and everything else. Uh, but uh, I think that that's the reason why... Uh, I mean, we've been together now um, for, I think, you know, married since uh, 2000 and uh, and together additional time after that. So closely, maybe 30 years, uh, probably now at this point together. Dude, you got married young. Well, no, I, I got married late, but we were together for a while okay, but before okay. we got married. And then we got married in, in year 2000. Okay. And so we've been married about 23 years and then together another six on top of that. Yeah, but you mean in 2000, you were young, man. Like you, 2000, you're only what? How old are you in 2000? 30. Right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah somewhere in my 30s. Yeah. Question um, Your daughters, are this similar like you or you know, very organized and right by the. It's know, funny. One of, the, one of them is. One of them is very organized and meticulous and on point. The other one, we, we have to like really remind uh, push. Yeah. And so part of that is actually we're going to have them take the uh, personality test as well because part of that is is not trying to force them to be something that they're not. That's so we have to point. kind of work around it, right? That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had that big setback. The market sh shifted on you. You probably did some things you probably looking back shouldn't have done, not overstand right. the way you did. But you got over it, which is amazing. You know, it's a hurdle you went, you went over. Um, what happened after that? So your wife, you say your wife is in the medical field, by the way? Yeah, she's a pharmacist. Does she work at that time? Was she working full time? Everything going on? A little bit, a little bit. But we started having kids, so she was busy at the house with the kids. Um, uh, so she wasn't. So it was mostly me. And then, um, after that period, you know, after that period, I think what happens is that, uh, even e e right now, you know, is really when I feel like, uh, in my most recent years, that I kind of, you know, that when you're, whenever you're in in that particular situation, it does leave uh some some scars both emotional and, um, you know, you, 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 it takes you off your game. So I think that, that, that kind of era of my time, I think that I allowed that, uh, that thing to happen. I allowed that situation to, uh, to, to, to affect me too much. Like it took my mojo out of me and it took me, it took me a while to get it back, you know, cause you have imposter syndrome. You, you feel like, Oh man, you really screwed this up. And, and then now, you know, like it, you go through all these different uh, things that you think about and eventually you get to the point where now you come out of it. So I, I think I stayed too long in that negative state. Do you believe in the law of attraction? I do. Well, when you say that I pause. So the, the fact is my pause indicates that I don't fully. Right. Um, but when you say the law of attraction, uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I've been, I've been reading more, you know, there's a guy named Frederick Dodson. Do you know who that guy is? So I've been reading more and listening to some of his stuff and, and trying to be, uh, more open to that. I, I'm a I'm a big believer, and maybe this is kind of the same. 
your vibration state. Recently, I've been thinking about, there's a couple of people that I, I follow online that recently um, I've been following. One thing when, when I think about when following people is you got to be mindful of that uh, you don't inadvertently absorb all of the qualities. So you may go and, 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 uh, and I say that because I'm going to mention who it is and people will go to that person and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're following that. So you have to take what I tell you with a grain of salt. There's a guy recently I've been following. His name is Wes Watson. He's a big guy on social media. I know him really well, really well. Okay. So, um, so, you know, one thing about him is that, um, he definitely, he operates a particular way. Yes. doesn't mean that I'm going to be like him. Everybody has their own way of being. But I, I, when I think about him, I think that he is vibrating at a, at a different frequency. Sure. Because he's, he's allowing things to happen in his life in a way that then is different than others. I so when I look at someone like him, it makes me more keen to understanding my vibrational, my vibration that I'm, that I'm, you know, my own vibration and thinking about how I can change that. And, and that's, you know, right now I'm working with a NLP coach, the linguistic programming coach. If you're familiar with that, I want to get, I'm going to talk to you about that. I want his number. I want to get into that. Yeah. So there's a guy, there's a guy, uh, he's helping me with, there's a concept. There's a book. There's a guy named Steve Andreas who wrote a book called transformations. And, uh, what the, the, what he's helping me with is in any change you want to make, you have to change it. There's surface layers, right? So you can do affirmations about how great you are, but if internally your belief, your internal belief and identity is that you're not that great, then those affirmations are not going to do that great for you. So you have to change your internal representation of who you believe yourself to be and then outward, you know, then, you know, so it's kind of like the, I would say that the, the model of achievement, the model of achievement that a lot of people uh, strive for is the, uh, the do have be model. Meaning if I do all these things, then I'll finally have all this money. And I'll finally become that person I want to be versus the, the be do have model, which is you become that person today. You, then you will do everything you want to do and then you'll have everything you want, but it's a being first. So yeah. when you talk about the law of attraction, um, that to me means how am I, I look at it as how am I attentive to how I'm vibrating to allow those things to manifest in my life. And I feel like I'm, I'm a bit more attentive to that right now. Sure. Good point. So but, I'll do, I'll yeah. do my, my points on Mr. Watson. His name is, what's his name? Yeah. Wes Watson. Wes Watson. I, 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 I came across him two, three years ago. There's a uh, influencer. I follow very closely. Bedrios Koulian. Bedrios. Oh yes. Uh, I, I know of him too as well. Amazing guy in California. I'm trying to get him on my podcast. He kind of, I kind of like his content. I like Patrick, but David very much. Patrick mm -hmm. is in South, South Florida, right? near you um <laughs> Watson, you know it's a very interesting story chico five years out after jail and he's done really well for himself he yeah. was in, he was in south beach for a mastermind recently this gentleman who um sold a bunch of rehabs well, he's a he had eric's a, eric eric uh Spifford? Spofford. Spofford, yeah, yeah. So me, me and you follow the same people man and yeah. i i'm looking at eric very closely and watson and, and you know and it's interesting. You're right. The frequency. I think for me, I think I, I, I relate to more for Patrick. He's a father, husband, you know, uh, he's from, from Iran, you know, and so it's, yeah, it sells, um, Pedro, same thing, but yeah, Eric and, and Watson, a little, little different. Um, so you're in self-development. So before I get into that, so, sorry, law of attraction for me, Chico 
people say that what you think about, what you say will come true. Yes, but you have to put a law of action. You have to take steps first. You have to yeah. put in some work. You can't just sit there and say, mm, Ferrari, Lamborghini, um, you know, and you could, no matter how much you align yourself and your whatever vib vibration frequency you're doing, vibrating, you have to put some work in. That's a big mistake. Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean, um, NLP, man, talk to me about that. But I had a good buddy of mine came up to me the other day and said, hey, man, you have to get an NLP coach. How long have you been doing that for? Uh, uh, well, I had been studying NLP off and on for quite a bit of years, but this coach in particular, um, we did a, we're kind of doing a 12 week, uh, program. It's just one-on-one -on -one. I'm doing one-on-one, -on -one, uh, help with him. And, and so now we're kind of in the eighth week of that. Um, and it's really, uh, his, there's different ways that people work with an NLP. He is working under the umbrella of a, a self-concept, which is, uh, unearthing, you know, Hey, what, what my values are and then determining my actions based around those values. Like, for example, I'm using an example. Let's say that um, you want to do something, you want to work out, but you, but you don't work out. I'm just using a very simple good, good uh, example. thing. Yeah. But you know, if, if you're not working out, there's a, there's a counter reason for you doing that. There's a benefit that you derive from that. Right. Uh, and it could be that, let's say, for example, you don't work out because in the morning, I don't know, you, you spend time with, you know, I'm trying to think about an example that drop the kids with. off. I have meetings, yeah, drop the kids off or you have meetings. And, and so, you know, so there's a, it's figuring out internally, what is it that drives you? So then you can kind of, um, uh, it's hard to describe because it's a complicated model. And the other thing is, is how you see, like he had me go back through certain experiences in my life and see them in a different way. So going back in my timeline and, and reevaluating, uh, because like, for example, you know, you can have an experience where somebody might have that experience and their life be devastated, but then you have the same experience. Somebody else could experience the same thing. And yet now that becomes a catalyst for them to have an amazing life, still the same experience. And so how you look at your past experience is key, but then also sometimes we inadvertently put a negative view on that. And so you can go back and reconfigure that. So then that way, moving forward, it, it, it creates a different version and it helps you see the world in a different way. Um, so so, so I'll, I'll give you, the, I'll give you an example. Is this is the mindset more. Well, I'll give you an example. So um, <laughs> this is just the most recent call. So I tend to be an over learner. Like I tend to want to um, like, if you told me, Hey, want to start a YouTube channel. I'm not the kind of guy that says, oh, let me just start doing videos. Like I want to take a course and then another course, another course after that. And because I want to be sure. So why does that happen? Well, if you look at the past, part of that is happening is because of maybe um, that I don't want to make a mistake because maybe when I was young and dealing with my parents, then I got really scolded whenever I made a small mistake. And so now that's the childhood in me bringing that back to the adulthood. So you kind of fix that. But at the same time, then figuring out if that still exists, then is there a different way of looking at it? So one of the things in the last call we talked about, he says, is there a time when you don't do any preparation? Like you over-prepare, like you want to do a video and you do an exhaustive amount of research and unnecessary, but there must be times where you where you don't. And, and one of the questions, one of the instances came in like you. If I'm doing a podcast, I never prepare. He says, do you ever prepare when you're doing an interview? No. He says... 
why is that? So I, he says, I feel like whatever is thrown at me, I can handle and I'll figure, you know, on the fly, I'll figure things out. So then what he had me do is then take that same way of being and then take that and transplant it into those other situations. So then now the way I approach here, I start to look at those other things I'm approaching in that same frame of mind. I'm, I'm oversimplifying it mm. because it's been a long process, but you know, it's, it's kind of like understanding how the mind works and fine tuning it. Right. It's a different way. If, if somebody says, Oh, um, I can't get myself to work out in the morning. One way is somebody yells at you and say, come on, you dirtbag, work out in the morning and call me tomorrow. Let me know you worked out. That helps for some people, but other people like me, which are more complicated and fucking crazy. It's like, you need to like really dig in there and fucking dissect the whole thing and take it apart and then put it back together so that it, it works the way it should be. So that's kind of like what, what I've been working on. I'm sure it's really helpful, Ben. And a lot of people told me NLP helped them succeed levels that they never thought it would. Yeah. I'm sure you well, were the same. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, I'm, it's a very methodical system and I'm very methodical. So it fits my frame. If it fits my, some people's motivational strategy is just as long as you get them excited, that's it. They're going to forget about everything and you're just going to go. So part of that is, I think, understanding how, how you are to then try to figure out a way to get you the right help you need. Cause it's not all one, you know, one size fits all, obviously. NLP helps people sell too, be better in selling consulting. Is that true? How did that do? Yeah, well, there there is. Um, there's a guy named Kendrick Cleveland who is a NLP guy that teaches persuasion. Uh, there's there's different, you know, NLP. There's different layers of NLP, right? And NLP, when it comes to to selling, would be is uh, mirroring and matching, which I think you probably heard of. Um, there's uh, language patterns such as embedded commands, presuppositions, and a variety of different other ways of speaking, right? Uh, I'm sure you, you may have heard of open loops. So there's there's different tactics. Um, there was a guy uh, when I when I was a real estate agent, I studied under Mike Ferry and his son Matthew Ferry was a they're big NLP there. guy. They're still there. Huh? They're, they're still they're, the coaches. Yeah, but Matthew Ferry was a big NLP guy. He's the one that originally I learned NLP from, and he was more on, you know, just that's why I learned you know presupposition, language patterns, and stuff like that. Um, and so you know, it's just it's a there's a lot of facets, a lot of layers to NLP, which for those of you, I don't know, we mentioned it, but it means neuro-linguistic programming. Yes. And it was it was created by this guy named Bandler, along with um, Grinder, uh, who wrote a book called Transformations, which I actually have, a, have an original copy of it here behind me. Yeah. Um, and that was the genesis of that. Uh, and that was what uh, Anthony Robbins, who many of you have probably heard of, uh, he his his teachings came originally from there and he kind of modified them for his own purposes, but that's where it, it originally came from. Yeah. The, uh, Tony Robbins, for those who don't know. Yeah. Tony, Tony Robbins, Robbins. Yeah. And the myth, the legend, um, Bob Proctor, have you heard of Bob Proctor? Old gentleman, he passed away. Yeah. Now. He talks yeah. about to be repetitive. You repetitively imprint an idea in your mind for it to go ahead and manifest. And yeah. Um, Chico, I know we have much time left over, but quickly, what are you doing now? I, I see your logo. I love your your logo. I love your channel. Your social media. I'm impressed. Why? You know, I'm happy to be part of this mastermind. We're part of. I got to meet you. Talk to me. What are you doing now? You know, I I feel like what I'm the path that I'm on right now is kind of like, and it's interesting. You see that you um we're in this program. Um, 
it's uh, I'm in the process of the best way I can describe it is how to how to how to create the movie of my of my life of my own life. And I think about, and, and it's funny because my logo there, and it wasn't intended to be that way, but it's kind of like the thing I've been thinking about is, is that how to become the superhero of your own life. And by that mean, like, you know, um, you know, you could be a superhero for, um, for your parents, for your kids, for the other people around you and how to be an example for others. And that's where like a guy like, so for me, I'm on a journey to kind of, I feel like I'm on a journey to reinvent mm-hmm. myself. And I'm on a journey to then uh, create that next version of myself. That's why, like, for example, we talked about the Wes Watson. Um, he He's the one that got me motivated to work out because, uh, and again, being mindful of you don't, you, you don't have to absorb everybody's, like when you're following somebody, you have to absorb everything they do. But one of the things that really resonates with me is uh, being a representation Right of the best version of me, and one of that is 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 uh, being physically fit. When somebody sees you, they're like, okay, at least this guy looks like he has some discipline and he's taking care of himself and being an example. So um, for me, is is I'm looking more like what what is the life that I want to lead, um, and and how can I be an example for others and become that person as best of my ability. And you know, to me, it's it's I I want to move. I, you know, I'm, I've been in the real estate niche for a while. So um, we're looking at maybe spreading out a little bit more where, uh, you know, my specialty has always been creating information products. Even though I made uh, money in real estate, I made, I've made a significantly more money uh, in the selling, uh, you know, in, in the, in the selling of information products. And, uh, and to me, um, I would like to start teaching people how to do that, you know, using the frameworks that I know so that if you're somebody that's a thought leader, um, you know, you should have a course, you should have a way that then people can reach out to you and say, Hey, I want to work with you and get help from you and, um, and be able to, you know, expand what you do. Right. So, um, so to me, it's like, just going back to what you said is that's why I like the, the symbol there that I had that logo done about a couple of years ago, but it's almost like, uh, you know, if you think about Superman, it's the symbolism, it's kind of like the same, but it's just, it's not an ego driven. It's like, how do you become the best version of yourself? I love so it. And now people look at you and say, you know, by example, they're like, you know, you're inspiring me to become my own version of my best self. I agree with you. That's yeah. a really good point. You know, the, all these uh, influencers, uh, self-development people I look up to, um, I thought about it one day, like, you know, I, like, I love Patrick. I love, um, you know, T- Tony Robbins, I, a huge fanboy of Tony and stuff. Um, but in the end, like no one can come save you. Only you can save yourself. Yes. And I think if we can put ourselves in that same pedestal, we put PBD or whoever you want to put in there. Um, same way, I, I I think it'll impact our life much more than what we think. You know. Yeah, because if you if if you, it's it's a better thing if I try to change you. That's one option. But if I change myself in a way that makes you look to me and say, wow, I'm really, you you have inspired me, Chico, to do better than what I'm doing now. And now that is a more impactful change because it comes from internal or from you. And, but at the same time, it's it's like you're leading by example. As, as a leader, you have to, right? I mean, that, that's, right. that's, that's a part of it. So Chico, your YouTube channel, what are you doing on your YouTube right now? What are you doing with it? Right now we're in the we're in the cohort, but I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what I want to do because the real estate channel has been in real estate, uh, but I feel that I'm not I don't want to make 
real estate content like I did before. So I want to kind of expand. And part of that is, you know, aspirations of expanding. But at the same time, as we all suffer is through the uh, fear, fear of leaving the safe nest that you always resided in. And now you're moving into a new place that is uncertain and you don't have, you know, you're, 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 you're not really sure how it's going to work out. So part of that is having the courage to move forward and expanding into that next, you know, into whatever that next endeavor is going to be. So for me, it's just, I want to widen the audience and, and, and talk about other things. Uh, and, and I think that the best thing I always find that the best content is to share the journey that you're on right now with other people, because through that journey, then they also affect their own journey. And so that's the thing I've been thinking about is changing my content to be just more on what is the journey that I'm on, including all the trials and tribulations and the bumps and the bruises. And that, that way other people can, can benefit from it. That's beautiful. That's awesome. Chico, where can we find you? You know, everybody always asks me that. And what's great is Google knows where to find me. So that. you can either just type my name into YouTube, just type in Chris Chico. You'll see my channel. Uh, you can also visit my website, chrischico.com. Okay. And I'm also on Instagram under the same handle, just my name. Chris Chico is without an H. So it's C-R-I-S-C-H-I-C-O. But if you type that into Google, I know I made it. You know when I know I made it? When you type it and you misspell my name and Google says, did you mean this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That's it. I'm yeah. following you. Awesome. This is amazing. Um, good stuff, Chico. Well, thank you, Chico, for jumping on board. I'm gonna probably do a uh, do a face to face. I like face to face better, more you know, energy, and we're gonna exchange okay. ideas. Uh, we'll we'll be in touch, man. You found a friend of me, man. Thank you for doing this for my 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 my, my channel. As you know, we're on the same journey to better yes. our YouTube our content. Um, along with interviews, I'm gonna probably do some self development videos. You you probably gonna get a, a preview of that. So um, yes. But awesome, Chico. Awesome. And if you're in Orlando, let me know. We were, uh, we come back and forth probably every month. Every month, every okay. 45 days, we're there in South Florida. Our kids are young right now. And so my in-laws are there. So we come and stay with them. But awesome, Chico. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank man. you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll be in touch.